God, creator, redeemer, and giver of new life. Amen. Well, it's been one of those weeks, hasn't it, of enormous highs and enormous lows in our world. Last weekend, it sort of seems to have got a bit lost by now, but last weekend saw the resumption of NASA uh, putting US astronauts into space, heading for the International Space Station. And regardless of the ethical question of what we think of all that money being spent at a time when the world is in such dire need of attention itself, I never cease to be amazed and even inspired, I think not so much by just that show of power or the technology, uh, amazing as it is, but more, I think, by the incredible views those astronauts get to see of fragile little planet Earth, the perspective that gives them as they soar through the vastness of our universe, and then the hope I get from seeing the embrace of American astronauts and Russian cosmonauts once they're all docked together on that space station. And that reminds me of today's Psalm 8 that we just heard, a short but dramatic hymn of praise to God's glory and sovereignty in the universe. But also it's an awesome affirmation of human dignity, of God choosing to share dominion over the earth and all its creatures with us human beings. Of course, nowadays we are so critically aware of how that dominion has so often turned to selfish exploitation and how we must regain our sense that we are but stewards of God's good creation and must care for it for the sake of all earth's inhabitants, human and animal alike. Surely the psalm must give us perspective on our humble place in the eternal universal scheme of things. When I look at the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, it's like getting out there on a frosty moonlit night. What are human beings that you are mindful of them, mere mortals that you care for them? That must also lead us to praise, for the same God, sovereign and majestic, is yet mindful of us and does care for us. And this same God receives praise out of the mouths of babes and infants. No one is too small, too insignificant to be on God's radar, held within the mind and heart of a loving and caring creator God. Yet this same creator God is not watching us from a distance like those astronauts sitting up in the space station. This is not that cartoon God sitting on a cloud with a long beard. No, this God got involved with the messiness of our human lives, came to live on this earth, became flesh and dwelt among us in the human Jesus of Nazareth. And in the process, God in Jesus broke the bounds of every thought process and belief system that the Jewish people had about there being one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is called the Shema from that first word, hear, O Israel, and it's still the greatest short creed of the Jewish faith, prayed every day. 
And of course, it's become part two of our summary of the law, one of the two greatest commandments affirmed by Jesus. So how then must it have been for those first Jewish disciples as they gradually, over three years, came to believe that somehow Jesus was more than human and was indeed God's law and word made flesh for us to experience, was indeed God breaking into the world, bringing in God's kingdom values of healing and justice, of care for the poor and the marginalised. Just as those disciples were daring to even voice that or put it into words, Simon Peter summoning up the courage to stutter out, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Just then Jesus breaks their hearts by saying it is all going to end in tears and in rejection and suffering, violence, brutality, and in death on a Roman cross. This was not what they thought should happen to God of Psalm 8, that sovereign creator, powerful God. They wanted that God to be flexing his muscles. They wanted a display of sovereign power conquering their enemies. But what they got was the Redeemer God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, the crucified God. There are some very beautiful uh, medieval German paintings of the Trinity, and I've just um, got one there that Frank's going to put up for us, the next one there. Frank, you can just pop up the next one. Next line. Yep, there it is. Okay. These are called Gnadenstuhl, which literally in German means mercy seat, but and they are portrayals of the crucifixion. But what I love about it is that it also portrays there the Father holding up the Son on the cross. So the Father is there at the cross. And perhaps you can just see between them the Spirit. It's really on the Father's chest, uh, the Spirit brooding above Christ's head as a dove. And so this is not the Father watching on unmoved from a distance as the Son makes the sacrifice of his life and dies. No, rather, this is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, united in dying to take away the sin of the world and absorbing all that hatred and violence of the world in one stupendous, self-giving act of love. I think God must have been weeping again this week as we saw such horrendous inhumanity expressed to George Floyd in the USA. His last words, I can't breathe, as his life was squeezed out of him. Such a travesty of one given the breath of life by God, just as we have been. Such a tragedy at the time that we in the church remember Pentecost, the gift of God's spirit who breathes life into each one of us. Midst all those media reports this week of peaceful protests, of police brutality, of looting, depending on who you listened to or what you watched, it has been good, though, to hear church leaders in the USA and right around the world speaking out, and other leaders too, speaking out on behalf of the God-given dignity and human rights of all people. 
but particularly of those black lives who have suffered from systemic racism for centuries and who must wonder if anything has changed since the days of the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King's prophetic visions of the 1960s, which we will be able to remember. Those two are now so disproportionately represented in the statistics of those suffering and dying in the COVID-19 pandemic. And we can look on here from here with anger and pain and sympathy, but also perhaps with some discomfort as we consider the realities of our own colonial history and the challenges that we still face as a nation and as treaty partners together in seeking to redress injustices and to treat all as those loved by God in our beloved God zone. Team of five million, with all that we have achieved together in recent weeks, and we hope more tomorrow. Yet that does not discount the hard graft that we still have to do together, that all may flourish and all may have the opportunity to live in dignity and with hope of a positive future for their families and loved ones. I grieve to read the story, as you might have too, of a, a part Māori pale-skinned woman who wrote of how her brown Māori mother, in her words, was refused the use of a toilet at a cafe and was sent down the road to Subway, while a Pākehā woman immediately after her was shown to the toilet straight away. And this was just in 2011, in our land. So may we pray too for the courage to challenge racism where we see it, and not least in the hardest place to see it, our own hearts. Well, let's um, move on back to Rublev's icon of the Trinity, Frank. And uh, I've also borrowed uh, on the floor there by the altar the copy uh, Mark has in his study for us to have with us today and also to see it up on the screen. This famous uh, 15th century icon, the depiction of the three angels' visit to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis, is often seen as a type of the Trinity with Father, Son, and Spirit enfolded in a circle of love, gazing from one to the other, and directing the attention of the worshipper on from each to the other. Not inward-looking either, as there behind them are a tree and a house and a mountain, symbols of the natural world and the world that humanity has made. And it's often said that if you look at the front, uh, there is an empty space and that Jesus in the middle reaches out his hand to us, inviting us to take our place at the table and to join the Holy Trinity in Holy Eucharist. Isn't that a lovely image to reflect on as we come to communion today? But I was also challenged in reading this week a comment on the Trinity and on this icon by a Croatian theologian uh, from Eastern Europe, Miroslav Volf, uh, who lived through the Balkan Wars, uh, which have so quickly slipped off our radar, but in fact weren't, of course, that long ago either. And he has become a powerful advocate 
for reconciliation, uh, knowing full well how hard that is among those who perhaps have centuries of enmity or oppression between them. And he says this, Because the Christian God is not a lonely God, but rather a communion of three persons, faith leads human beings into that divine communion. But one cannot, however, have a self-enclosed communion with the triune God, a quartet, as it were. For the Christian God is not a private deity. So communion with this God is at once also communion with all those others who have entrusted themselves in faith to the same God. Hence, one and the same act of faith places a person both into a new relationship with God, but also with all others who stand in communion with God. With all others who stand in communion with God. So those here with us today, those watching us on our live stream, those who are very like us and those who are very different from us all around God's world, and yet are equally made in the image of God, redeemed by Christ, equally filled with the breath of God's Spirit. So as we come to communion today and feed on the bread of life, May we recommit ourselves to serve our God and Trinity and then to be sent out by Jesus just as he commissioned those first disciples to go out into all nations and to serve in Christ's name all those who stand with us in communion with God. Amen.